before I read this, just a, a little of what just happened real briefly in the gospel before this. It isn't too long before this that Jesus raised um, Jairus' daughter, that he healed the woman with the flow of blood, and he had sent his disciples out two by two into the towns. Uh, and so uh, the word was getting around about Jesus, and that's kind of the background uh, for this. The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, Come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. Now many saw them going and recognized them, and they ran there on foot from all the towns, and they got there ahead of them. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place, and the hour is now late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered them, You give them something to eat. And they said to him, Shall we go and, and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? And he said to them, Well, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. When they found, had found out, they said, Five and two fish. Then he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups by hundreds and fifties. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing, broke the loaves, gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all. And they all ate and were satisfied, and they took up twelve baskets full of broken pieces of the fish, uh, broken pieces and of the fish. And those who ate the loaves were five thousand men. This is the gospel of the Lord. You know what that is, right? It's an oasis. Okay. Have any of you ever really, for real, seen one? Ben? Okay. All right. What? A couple people? Have? Yeah. All right. So some of you have. I haven't. Uh, the only oasis I saw was in the California desert, and it was a convenience market. <laughs> but, you know, but I haven't seen one like that. But, I mean, we know those kinds of images, and we've seen them in, in movies if we haven't seen them for real. And we know how desolate and what it can be like when you get out into a place like that, whether it's, it's sand or rock or, or whatever kind of desert it is, but they're very dry, arid, hot, dangerous places. And when you can find when there's a source of water, it's amazing that all kinds of vegetation will come up around it, even in that place, when you got the water, and then if you're a traveler, if you're one of the people that's going across that desert, it's a great place to stop. And in biblical times, you know, with the nomadic life, they knew where all the oases were, and they knew where to go, and that's where they would go, and they would have water and, and have a little bit of shelter, and they could water their, their flocks and their livestock and stuff. Those places were lifesavers, okay, lifesavers, okay, if you want to. And then we'll, we'll bring it back out again at the end. But it's kind of like uh, 
That, and I was thinking about uh, God with the children of Israel. You know, we had the lesson from, lesson from Jeremiah, but long before that, the people had, had kind of been in a desert place in, in a sense that for the desert place was the captivity and the slavery in Egypt when they were there because they, it was, their lives were hard and dangerous and desolate. They had to struggle to survive, struggle to get their needs met when they were in there. And God came to them in that place and honored a promise that he had made way back to Abraham uh, about 500 years before this, honored that promise and took him out. So he took him out of that kind of spiritual and social desert that they had found themselves in and brought him out into a real desert, <laughs> a real desert like that one that we saw. And brought him out there and led him out and was shaping them into a nation, into a people. They didn't like being in the desert. They complained about being in the desert, but God provided for them. He took care of them, and they were, at, they were wandering around that desert for about 40 years. And finally, he led them through that desert and brought them into the land that he had promised to Abraham to give to his descendants. So he brought them into that place. Kind of reminded me of how America got started. I mean, isn't it, I mean, the people, the first people that came over here, why did they come? Because they were being oppressed, and they wanted the chance to have some freedom, and mainly the freedom to worship the way they wanted to. And so it was religious persecution for a lot of them that drove them over here, that caused them to take the risks, you know, of sailing in those days. And they came over here and established a place where they could be free and where they could worship and where God could be a part of their lives in the way that they wanted it to be. And really, I believe it was God that led them here and God that helped them establish a nation, and our nation was founded on those kinds of principles. And probably we can even talk about our own lives. We know that God has been with us through our lives. It doesn't mean everything was perfect and there weren't you know, difficult times, but God has been there and taken care of us. And just think about your life and think about the blessings that you have, and think about the things that, that God has helped you get through in your life to get to the point where you're at now. So we all know something about that journey that the Israelites took, that the pilgrims took, and that has been a part of our lives. But now we find ourselves living in a different kind of desert. Even the Israelites, after they had been established and living in this land of milk and honey that God had brought to them, and they were very prosperous and very powerful, had started to move away from God and, and had started to shove God out of their lives, and they were getting uh, you know, a little bit on their high horse because of their power and money and, and the nation, and, and they thought they were really doing pretty good. And their leaders... And that was what Jeremiah was making the accusation against. Their leaders were the ones that were, were driving the things out. And the, the political leaders and even their religious leaders had started to allow the other religions in their, in the, in, that were in their environment, other religions to filter in, and they started getting their religions mixed up. And, 
and the Jewish people, God's people, were starting to worship other gods. In some cases, were sacrificing their children, their firstborn. Uh, they were getting all involved in that, and God was just getting shoved out. And Jeremiah says, you know, he brings this word against the shepherds who are scattering the flock and not pulling them together and not keeping them uh, in, in God's flock. Sounds like America, doesn't it? I mean, the same things happen. You know, God blessed us for, for, for so long and, and I think had a protecting hand on us because as a nation, um, as a nation, we were following Christian principles and Christian values and we became God's instrument to bring a lot of help and to spread the faith in, in all different parts of the world. But now, God is being pushed out. There are forces at work that want to push God out of the, the public arena completely. Mostly the Christians, but they want religion out of it. They want it taken off the buildings. They want it taken out of the buildings. They want it taken out of the schools. They don't want it to be a part of public life. And they want to marginalize anything that smacks of God. And just like when Israel did that, there was a vacuum then that got filled by other nations that came in and other powers that took over. That's likely to happen here one day too as that vacuum is created that God will just allow things to happen. Say, all right, let's see how you do without me. But then I thought, well, wait a minute. Here I am pointing the finger at Israel and I'm pointing the finger at America, but what about me? What about my life after all the wonderful things that God has done for me and the blessings that I've had from him and the care that I've experienced from him and even a couple of miracles that I've experienced from him and after all that kind of stuff, how much of part of my life, my everyday life, my thoughts and, and actions, how much is God a part of that? And do I have a tendency sometimes to put God in a box and to bring him out when I need him. We all need to ask ourselves that question. Do we do that? Do, is God sometimes a convenience for us? I can bring him out on Sunday morning, take him to church with me, go home, and put him back in the box. Maybe once in a while I'll do some daily devotions. I'll get God out of the box do my devotions and put them back in. Or if I'm in trouble or, or sick or I've got something going on, I'll get God out of the box you know, and put him back in. How, for how many of us is God always at the front of our mind in our daily activities? Our lives are so busy, so filled up, that without even thinking about it sometimes, God gets shoved into the background, just like the nation of Israel did, just like our country is trying to do, but we do it too. And so when Jesus looked over a crowd of people that were probably very much like us, only the toys were different, the technology was different, but they're very much like us, and he saw them as sheep without a shepherd. 
it's real easy to get scattered. It's real easy to get separated from the shepherd and separated from the flock. And Jesus had compassion. <clears throat> you notice, and it struck me in, the, in that gospel lesson when, when uh, you know, they had tried to, he and the disciples tried to get off someplace where they could just kind of rest because they'd been getting, you know, bombarded by just crowds of people you know, that were coming because of the word that was getting around. They wanted to get away, but when they got to where they were going, there was already a huge crowd waiting, you know, because they got their head of him. And it said, when Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And so what did he do? He began teaching them many things. You know, we know in Jesus' ministry he was caring for people and you know, healing people and raising them from the dead and doing all these kinds of things. And right after this, he, you know, he fed them, uh, gave them plenty to eat while they were out in that, that desolate place and they, so they didn't have to worry about going and finding food or anything for that day. He took care of that, and we know that's the way Jesus was. But when he looked out on them, and it says he had compassion on them, what's the very first thing that he did? He started teaching. Well, then I'm wondering, okay, what was he teaching? You know, what did he have to say to them that was so important? And I have a feeling, since these people were under Roman rule, and they were oppressed, and, and life was hard, he probably started talking about how much he loved them, and how much God loved them and how God was going to care for them, and that there was something better coming if they would follow. Those kinds of things. If he was feeling compassionate, that's what he was going to share. And when he looks at us, then I wonder, you know, what would he say to us? What has he said to you in your life? He says he loves you. He says, I gave myself for you. I want to be a part of your life. I want to take care of you. I want to provide for you. I want you to know that I love you. And I want you to know that I have something really, really good waiting for you. Because he has compassion. Because he is the good shepherd, the great shepherd. Not the one that wants to scatter and take us away from God, but the one that wants to pull us all together. Like he's done in our lives and wants to continue to do. In some ways, I guess you could say our lives are a desert. And, you know, some, sometimes they're good, but sometimes they're harsh. And sometimes it's tough to get through. But Jesus is just itching to be a part of our lives. He wants to be the oasis that we come to. Not waiting until we find ourselves in a really desert place and all of a sudden we realize him. But he wants us to come to the oasis and live there. He wants us to stay there. Like what we're doing here. This is an oasis this morning where we can sing his praise but where we can hear how much he loves us. He wants us to take some time every day. We got the little devotional booklets out there that you can use or whatever you want to use. Or I know you've got iDisciple. I've got it. Um, Susan's got it. Uh, Jerry's about to get it. <laughs> and 
And there's devotions on there, you know. I mean, something like that. Whatever devotion you want to use, God, Jesus is itching to be with you and wants to spend time with you. He's the oasis. He's the place where you can constantly be refreshed and nourished and given rest. He's the oasis. And he invites you to come.